Hello and welcome to the podcast, Are We Nearly There Yet? My name's Professor Andrew Sherry and I'm interested in people's journeys to discover who they are and what they're made to do. We can all learn something from other people's stories, so join me on another adventure. Just try different things. Your first job doesn't have to be your forever job. Today I'm talking to Susan Binnersley, who's the Managing Director of H2H Limited, an organisational development consultancy. Susan supports a range of businesses, predominantly in the STEM and engineering and manufacturing sectors, to achieve success through their people. Susan lives in New York with her husband Mick, and she has two children, Matthew and Emma. And uh, both Susan and Mick are delighted the children are both following their passions in their careers. Matt is restoring historic aircraft and Emma is managing major sporting events for children. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit as we go along. So welcome, Susan. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Andrew. Nice to talk with you. Susan, you grew up in Harrogate in Yorkshire and you went to Rosette High Comprehensive School. Tell us a little bit about what you were like as a, as a girl at school, what you enjoyed and so on. I always think I was lucky. I loved school. Um, I enjoyed both primary school and secondary school. I enjoyed learning. I think I had some fab teachers. I had some that were really dull as well, but <laughs> you have to. Um, uh, <laughs> but really, I, I feel very lucky that I had some, some good friends. Um, I was always quite sporty, so I was in the netball and hockey teams, so I enjoyed that. did a lot of swimming just outside of school, so I had sports, I had some good friends, and enjoyed school, I enjoyed learning. So, And, and when you were at school, did you start to get a sort of sense for some of the areas you enjoyed more than other areas, or, or aspects that you were particularly good at? One of the things, I can't remember what year in secondary school, but I went, I must have been on about four or five different exchange trips, which I think can be life-changing sometimes in the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> um, but mine were life-changing in a really positive way. So, um, you know, I would spend a week um, with living with a German family or a week living with a French family. Mm. And then we would receive them back into our family home. So again, happy that my parents were always welcoming. I love this. My, my dad, um, bless him. His idea of speaking a foreign language was just to talk English louder. <laughs> <laughs> as if that helped somebody to understand his broad Yorkshire accent but um so I think through those exchange visits and with a really inspirational languages teacher called Mr Trafford um I, I've just developed a love of languages your your passion for languages French and German you really took through into your higher education at Newcastle Poly yeah and the university yeah. there and you studied modern languages and politics I did. Um, yeah. So where, what was the politics? Where did that come in? Well, because it was a, it was a great degree where it was modern languages and politics of those countries as well that we oh, were right. studying. So a lot was around the European Parliament. So the politics of Europe um, and we had a trip to Strasbourg. So it, it was very much that environment. And I guess 
initially I thought that's where I wanted to work. I thought I wanted to be an interpreter walking around Strasbourg or Brussels, um, living the dream, translating for, for different organisations. So, um, yeah, yeah uh, so soon got a love for languages. Oh, so, so, and how do you think you sort of grew up and changed at university? So I think the, the key things that were different, you know, you have a lot of life experiences at university and you know, sadly, a lot of people now are having some really difficult and totally unexpected life experiences at university. And your resourcefulness has to grow because really you've only got yourself to, you know, you have to help yourself through those. And I guess my resourcefulness was, you know, first of all, life at uni, I went up to Newcastle, um, loved Newcastle as a city centre. So that bit was relatively easy, kind of then packing your bags and jumping on a uh, I think we went by bus the first time to, to France um, and just getting off a bus in Bordeaux with all of your belongings for six months thinking wow okay what do we do now I've got to sort myself out through this planning your own work and immersing yourself that was a lovely thing just immersing yourself in a different culture. Was, was there a sort of moment during those six months that you could think about that sort of summed it up the, the good the good aspect of, of 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 that time where maybe you sort of thought i'm just so this is just the right the right shape for me at the moment one real interesting moment was when i woke up one morning and i realized i'd dreamt in french and it's like oh wow okay so this immersive being here is working <laughs> and i think just I, I, I don't think there was a particular aha moment a number of events um we were students at universities so we went i went to a german university went to a, um the um institut des études politiques in france in bordeaux which was uh that that was quite a place to to be a student so i think just walking into student you know you just feel like you're living the dream really don't you and of course you know you have no money as a student so you know it's not like going abroad now where I can treat myself to a nice meal I, I actually don't remember eating in France <laughs> I, I think I must have done but we had the the halls in France were horrible um the, they didn't really have a communal kitchen to speak of so I think I literally survived on bread and cheese so you did that and then you came back and then coming to the end of your university time, what were your thoughts about, because then you start thinking, what am I going to do next? And you were saying you yeah. thought you might go to Strasbourg or, you know, as yeah. a translator or something. Did you pursue that a little bit? What was your, going through your well, mind at to, that time? To be honest, during my degree course, um, I actually left university much less certain of what I wanted to mm. do than I was before I went, because originally... <clears throat> originally I'd applied to Harriet Watt University in Scotland which was well known for interpreting and translation um, I didn't get the grades to get in there I'm sorry to say um, but actually I think the degree course that I did at Newcastle was probably much better for me and I guess I, we did a lot of interpreting obviously on the course itself but I probably couldn't have articulated it this way then but actually looking back I think it uses a very narrow skill set yeah. I just thought, actually, it's not for me. I don't want to spend my day doing all of that. I couldn't have expressed it then. But if I think about the career that I went on to have and the broad skill set that you need, I think having that very narrow expertise, and I guess the reality is most of it has already been replaced by a computer today. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so it is quite narrow. I decided I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to go into teaching. So I was a bit lost with a 
you know, a, a languages degree. And I think I'd also applied to the diplomatic corps. So, and I didn't get through the exams for that. I was a bit lost really when I finished. Really? So what was the journey then that took you into BAE systems? I had some good summer jobs, some that were just typical. You know, one year I was a chambermaid in a hotel in Harrogate. And then the next year I was quite astounded. I, I, I applied for a job as a sales representative for a big food company and got it. And and they ring me up and say, well, where do you want your company car delivering? I'm like, this sounds insane. I'm a student. <laughs> so, but that in a way introduced me to corporate life. I, and it was a fab job. I was you know, driving all over and talking to supermarkets and uh, trying to get some biscuit sales. <laughs> Saw some good food somewhere. And um, so that gave me an insight into corporate life. And I enjoyed that. So when I had this change of heart about what I'd do after my degree I thought I would apply to companies who offered um, graduates give me an insight into a broader organization so so those part-time jobs were really helpful in shaping where I looked for work and then the other thing um, I've always had a lifelong interest in aviation because I was dragged to air shows from as early as I can remember. So I've been watching uh, uh, displays. I've seen the Red Arrows more times than I can imagine. But enjoy it still and still enjoy it all. So I thought, well, OK, there's a lot of companies out there, but I quite like aeroplanes. So I applied to all big companies that had anything to do with aeroplanes. Applied to British Airports Authority, British Airways and British Aerospace that then later became BAE Systems. I guess I followed an interest in the well, kind of like that sector um, and went looking for a general graduate placement in a sector that interested me for for any of the young people listening you know if you're not really sure as to what you want to do you might think whatever it might be where do I want to do it that's interesting isn't it and I was going to say the the, the other lesson for me in that is if you don't know do something yes. because you will learn by taking a step and even if you end up taking a step in a different direction later absolutely you absolutely. learn about yourself and you're you know for sure for it's sure. useful time isn't it yeah, for sure. Um, so, so can you remember your first day uh, in the job at BAE and, and how it sort of felt going through the, the doors? I was really excited. And I think I'd spent so long dreaming about being some sort of career woman. And you just think, well, this is it. This is the beginning. I'd already met my boss. I think I was fortunate to know I was going to work for somebody who I'd already struck up a rapport with. And I had great colleagues. So actually that made a huge difference to how you start your working life yes the people you know absolutely absolutely mm -hmm. and uh, as I say just having a, a good leader and you know now we do a lot of work with first line leaders and I just think they have such an impact on everybody's working life it yeah. is so important to do it right and I felt I feel so lucky because she was the best then at least you know, I had some, I am fortunate, I had some brilliant bosses over my career, some not so good, but you always knew what good looked like. And then you could almost compensate or go looking for it. That's interesting, isn't it? Yes, because those, that sort of input into you at that age, as you say, is so mm -hmm. important. Ah, and, yeah. and, you know, if, if, if you, you know, if you've got a good boss, but there are things that actually advice or, um, you yeah. know, support you need in other ways. You can find Absolutely. it in different directions, can't you, through mentors or... You know, one of the simplest questions, and I'm still not sure I've ever been asked it, but I try and ask other people if I've been their bosses, you know, how do I get the best out of you? 
it's, mm. it's a dead simple question and uh, you know my as i say to my kids look you know if people don't ask that let them know yes yes it'll make a big difference uh, when you're at ba you 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 spent some time in learning and development I and did, then you yeah. moved into manufacturing management that yeah. sounds like quite a change <laughs> tell us a little <laughs> bit about that well again i had a an insightful boss who suggested that I should experience HR from the customer's end. A really smart thing. And obviously your customers, when you work in HR as an HR manager or advisor, your customers are the employees. So, or the manager, very often you're interfacing with managers. So, um, and again, I think another lesson, and I think I try and talk about this with companies we work with, is that when you work in a big organization, you as an individual employee can ask them to take some risks with you. And also as a company, if you want to retain people, quite often mid-career people want a bit of a change, then you can facilitate opportunities that they would no way ever. Could you imagine if I'd ex applied externally to a separate company to be yes. a manufacturing cell manager with no manufacturing experience, they'd have, they, I, they wouldn't have even, it's just not no. happening, is it? Yeah. No. So, but within a big company, obviously I'd got a track record, they trusted me, they saw it as an investment. Um, so yeah, off I went. Um, so I became the Harrier Assembly cell manager with 50 men reporting into me. <laughs> so how did, you, how did you cope with that, uh, that change? By that point in my career, I'd spent a lot of time in leadership and uh, management development because of some work we did at the factory where I worked. I was also an accredited trainer at the University of Hull. So I'd got quite a lot of leadership theory under my belt. <laughs> and that's all I had in my toolkit. So I just thought, actually, that's all I can use. And that's what I will use. And I'm and, it, and I, I remember saying to myself, well, this stuff either works or it doesn't. And I have to say, it, it was brilliant because um, it did, you know, I was, I did do a lot of that feedback. I did tackle a lot of issues, but you do it from a leadership perspective. You know, when it comes yeah. to putting a Harrier rear fuselage together, there's plenty of people know how to do that better than me. So actually having those conversations, all of the basic stuff that we would advocate leaders do in terms of feedback, performance talking about expectations having those difficult conversations it's really good isn't it when the theory you can actually put it into practice yeah. and see yeah. see yeah. if it can work and make it yeah, you kind of say oh gosh i really hope it does <laughs> <laughs> um, i want to take you a little bit further forward in, in your career mm. particularly now to um when you started your company h2h mm -hmm. yeah um can you tell me what because that's that's quite a bold move I would imagine and yeah. wondering what motivated you to do that and maybe some of the the learning in in taking that step that you found well I guess once you start work you also come across lots of other roles and lots of people and in my career in HR you come across a lot of people who operate as consultants so I guess I'd been exposed to that and I think what had happened I'd been really I'm not going to say lucky because I think we make our own luck in the world, but I'd had a fabulous career with BAE system, moved around lots, done lots of good stuff. And by the age of 35, I was doing what I thought was the best HR job in BAE. 
um, you know, I was the HR director for three naval shipyards, 7,000 people, lots of stuff. And it was exciting. And I know, you know, companies move on, things change. And I just thought, actually, I'm 35. I'm doing what I think is the best job. So I either make a conscious decision to just do more of that or I do something different with the next phase yes. of my career. And I decided that I would do something different with the next phase of my career. And also, again, if I look back to all my school reports, even from primary school, you'll see the word independent feature. <laughs> I think that's probably a euphemism sometimes. <laughs> um, and I always have been very independently minded. Setting up your own business was probably quite a natural course for my innate character. So I started to think that might be quite good. And then you start talking to people around who do that for a living. And it just sounded better and better in terms of offering a diversity, using what I already knew, but having a different direction. Um, so I then I moved to another company just to get an experience of another culture and um, mm. on my CV, really. So I did two years with a, a smaller outfit kind of bigger fish smaller pond and then I set up H2H um, on the back of that kind of shaped by you know what do I want the next phase to look like because of course when we set out they're big decisions but I think lots of us have we all experience different times in our lives where we're ready to do something different yes yes we do and I do remember when I started work and talking to people in um, the nuclear industry at the time They'd worked in the nuclear industry for 25 years, 30 years, and even longer. And I remember thinking, gosh, that's the whole of my life mapped out in front of me, you know. But actually to realise that you can change course mm, and you absolutely. can do different things that, you know, enrich in your life and stretch you as a person and, you know, all the rest of it. Um, it's really good to know that at the start sometimes, isn't yeah. it? Um, well, and I think as well, one, it's a lot of the research around careers at the minute and I've seen this with my own children, actually, is that in our 20s, we're experimenting. You know, I'm really happy that my kids are now in roles that play to their interests and their strengths, but it took them a while to find them. So um, H2H has been uh, running now for, um, what, 16 years, I think, something like yeah. that. Um, what have been the particular challenges you found in, in setting that up and leading that? And maybe some of the areas that... Um, you realised you had gifts and talents that maybe otherwise you wouldn't have discovered. It's quite scary, really. And at the time, just in terms of context, the company I left BAE Systems to work for ultimately went into administration. So um, there was no redundancy pay. I had £180 statutory notice pay. I had a husband who was a full-time dad at that point, and we just bought a house because we'd moved with the new job and all our savings were in the house. So I literally had no money <laughs> so the biggest challenge was making it work but making it work fast I didn't have the luxury of time and mm -hmm. I literally gave myself a, like a bit of structure like a good good KPI set so I gave myself a red amber green chart of okay if by the end of three months I've bought this much in I'll either carry on or I need to look for work so mm -hmm. so the biggest challenge was making it work in the timescales that I actually had available to me. And, um, and then I think in order to make it work, I had to overcome that uh, fear of networking, I guess. And actually, one of the loveliest things was the kindness that everybody showed in terms of, um, of course, I'll meet you for coffee, Susan. And 
and then the advocacy and the referrals that came from that. I think probably earlier in my career, I underestimated how giving people were. And, and I just think generally amongst um, professional people, there's a, well, all working people, there's a generosity of if somebody's interested, they'll spend some time with you, they'll share some experiences, they'll help you think something through in terms of what you might want to do with your career, or if they hear of opportunities, they'll advocate it. I think I always underestimated that, and I thought that was just a really lovely characteristic that, you know, again, younger people should make the best use of. I do remember early in my career, people talking about networks and, oh, you need to meet this person. And I felt very similar to you that, oh, it feels like you're using those relationships, you know, and it felt, it didn't quite Mm. sit comfortably with me, I suppose. Absolutely. But then I I guess also you learn that, you know, everybody has a job to do and actually working together, you can help meet other people's needs and they can help meet your needs as well. So it's actually a a win-win sort of situation, you know. Yeah. and it's not as quite as mercenary as sometimes people no. might imagine. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to take, take you back to um, not the young girl at school who had a clear <laughs> picture in her mind about what she wanted to do, but the, the graduate who thought, I thought I knew what I wanted to do, but I don't know now. What would be your advice to her knowing what you know now? Just try different things. Your first job doesn't have to be your forever job. And mine worked out well, but it, it might not have done. And then, well, I'd have just surprised somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. There's always another, there's always a different yeah. step to take. There is, there? there is. Just take some of those steps. And I, I would always, I would encourage somebody to, I think I, because I was independent minded, I wasn't really influenced by other people, but I do see, decisions on careers made by people other than the individual sometimes and it's good to solicit views of parents and siblings and teachers that's fine but also make sure you know what your view is yes and spending time to think about that and dwell on it and um mull it over perhaps encouraging people to spend a bit more time with a notebook absolutely writing words down and drawing pictures and that sort of thing is good advice too yeah yeah Great. Well, Susan, it's been so good to talk to you. Thanks so much for uh, telling us all about your your story and your journey and um, all the lessons along the way. Fabulous. Nice to talk to you, Andrew. If you've enjoyed this podcast, to help others enjoy it too, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. And don't forget to rate and review. Thank you.